It is Locked on Jazz for the 16th of May. Dallas made Phoenix look like Utah. Setters, that was a bad day for your profession. And it's fragile out there. Very, very fragile. Except for one team called the Boston Celtics. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice for the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan today. I'd like to thank today's sponsor of Locked On Jazz, Sakara Nutrition. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish. Go to sakara.com slash locked20 or enter locked on, excuse me, sakara.com slash locked on20 or enter the code locked on20 for 20% out off at checkout. Thank you very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms, and we greatly appreciate you stopping by and making this a part of your routine. If you're listening on YouTube, likes and comments do push us to the top of the algorithm, and it's great. And if you're listening on a podcast provider, please give us a five-star review. All right, uh, Dallas made Phoenix look like Utah, which was really interesting to watch. We felt as though most of what the jazz problems were, were jazz problems. Lack lack of camaraderie, lack of ball movement, lack of effort, uh, poor shooting, all these things. And, And I don't know that we were necessarily wrong, but it's worth noting that all of a sudden, all of those same things looked the same by Phoenix, right? So there's a few things that are going on here. First thing I think that's going on here is what I I refer to as the Barry Bonds phenomena. What? Barry Bonds, a steroid-using baseball player? Yes. When Barry Bonds was at his peak for the San Francisco Giants, it made it so easy for everyone to play. Like, if you came into the game and you were a Giants player, like, there's not a worry in the world for you at that point. You know Barry Bonds in the middle of the lineup. He's going to do something amazing. You can come in. You can just do your job. You don't have to do anything more. The pressure's hardly on you, and you just proceed. That's where I feel like Dallas is with Luka. Luka's, you know, Jokic can make a claim to this. It's hard because he's not playing right now. Um, but Luka's the most dominating offensive player in the NBA right now. He is simply unguardable. He goes into the middle of the paint, step back over eight and three straight times. He's shooting the step back on the left side. If he goes right, he's getting in the lane and throwing the passes. He makes the perfect read every time. He sees the game at a snail's pace. He's really, and he was incredible, and he broke their will early. So the first thing is the Barry Bonds factor. And I think it plays into all of it. Like Dallas's bench is jumping up and down. They're doing all these things that, they look because they got Luca, right? 
Luca allows the rest of the group to just feel as though they can go do what they need to do on that given day. And as good as Donovan Mitchell is, and as good as Rudy Gobert, and as good as Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, they didn't give Phoenix that feeling, or Utah. And frankly, Chris Paul probably has at times, but so certainly didn't by the end of that series. And so when you look at what, that's the first part of it. Then we keep talking, we've talked about this a lot on this show about, well, we need a second, we need wing defender. True, but you've got to have a multitude of wing defenders. Not just one, but a multitude. And two, if Luke is involved, I don't know if it matters, right? Mikel Bridges is pretty good. I mean, I was running through the numbers last night. It, it didn't really matter who was guarding Luca. They didn't have, they didn't have an answer for who was guarding Luca, the and and they're as good a built defensive team, right? You would think Jay Crowder, you would think, um, you know any any of those guys, you would think. But Luca against went eighteen of thirty one, fifty eight percent against Mikel Bridges. Mikel Bridges is pretty much the best thought of on ball defender in the NBA. And Luka Doncic took him for 18 of 31 and 5 of 10 from 3. Simultaneously, Jalen Brunson then is destroying Devin Booker of 15 to 27 for 52%. When Luka got switched onto DeAndre Ayton was actually when he was at his least good, and so they were willing to let that happen, and then he got him. Jay Crowder didn't guard Luka a lot, and Luka was just 4 of 11. Um, I will say... You know, Monty Williams is the NBA coach of the year, but um, and I, I always kind of say it's it's weird when fans try to claim that coaches don't make adjustments. I actually didn't see very many from Phoenix last night. Or like I didn't see now, maybe it was over so fast there weren't many to make. But if you watch Phoenix in that game, they suddenly get into the they they, they suddenly stop moving the ball. They end up throwing about the same amount of passes as they usually do in a game. They throw about 266 a game, and I think that's what they threw in that game. But but that was not Phoenix ball movement. They might have been throwing 266 passes, but they were coming off the their, their trapping book, and then the rotation by Dallas was exquisite. And they're not getting, and Phoenix is not getting uh the ball movement to pop and get around the horn like they want to or like they have. The other thing that happens to Phoenix, which is interesting from our standpoint, and I'm not trying to pick on one guy, but it's relevant to us is, you know, I heard a lot of, we should have never got rid of Jay Crowder, which is, you know, Jay Crowder gives you a little, what all the things Jay Crowder gives you. I'm not, you know, that's great. Jay Crowder's three point shooting in the last four games of the series, two of seven, one of five, one of one, one of six. Like this is we've we've felt that magic before, right? Jay Crowder last four games of the series when they lose three of the four shoots thirty four percent from three and twenty thirty four percent and twenty six percent from three. You know we got that's we we had that experience, and so we moved from it. But they they stopped the pick and roll. They forced Chris Paul to the left hand. They got him uncomfortable. They stopped the ball movement. They defended the above the break three. They did all the same things against Phoenix that they did to Utah. 
Phoenix actually in the game, the, I mean, the shooting by Dallas also was just ridiculous. They were 50% again yesterday on the above the break three. Like that's just incredible. Um, And how they keep shooting it that well, well, some of it has to do with Luca, but still, even on any of that, it's just an over, it's unbelievable shooting. And in games where Phoenix had the opposite, but you have to ask yourself, at least Phoenix had the opposite because Phoenix got tight and I thought Phoenix looked tight. I thought Phoenix looked very similar to Utah, that they looked tight. They looked as though it was, an important, you know, they've been together for a while. The pressure was on them. Dallas is this young team with the Barry Bond slugger in the middle who's just carrying them through on this carefree journey. There's no pressure on them. But the Jazz shoot on above the break threes against Dallas in the playoffs, shoot four of 14, seven of 22. So let's do percentage because we didn't get enough off, but 29, 32, 33, 32, and then the killer, uh, we shoot nine, two of 23, and then 21. So our last two games, we were eight of 51 on above the break threes. There's no defense that costs us that. That's what cost us the series. Eight of 51 on above the break threes in the final two games. That's crazy. Phoenix opened the series making all those shots. They were 8 of 21 in the first game, 38%, then 53, then 45, then 42, then 42. And in the last three two games, they were 13 of 41. Now, maybe Dallas is just athletic and rotates enough and knows where you're going. And as the series goes on, makes enough adjustments that they're able to close out just a step faster. Let's give them some credit. It's happened twice in a row as the series has gone on that the opposing team suddenly doesn't isn't able to make those shots. Vinny Smith is incredible. But back to the moment ago where we talked about wing defenders, what Dallas had was Reggie Bullock is the one who called De- caused Devin Booker all the problems. Finney Smith called Donovan all the trouble. I mean, I think we remember Donovan was 17 of, 20, of 52 and 3 of 20 from 3 against Finney Smith. Fact of the matter is that... Devin Booker didn't actually have a big problem with Finney Smith. He went 15 to 33, 45%, 6 of 10 from 3. But then they started putting Reggie Bullock on him. They put Finney Smith onto Chris Paul. They hit Jalen Brunson on Mikel Bridges, who couldn't do anything about it and didn't have enough offensive game to do anything about it. And then they put um and they put Reggie Bullock on Devin Booker. And Devin Booker went 13 of 35 and 3 of 13 on Bullock. And the irony is that the Jazz actually gave Bullock a really hard time. Chris Paul guarded by Finney Smith only some of the time, but just didn't have a lot of movement on that. Chris Paul really just didn't get the matchups that he wanted and then became, you know, somewhat absent. The one that Chris Paul actually had the most matchups on was Luke, and he didn't have a lot of success on it. Chris Paul's not a one-on-one player, goes to the rim, And so you're able to kind of make that adjustment. Right? Chris Paul doesn't go to the rim at all anymore. Luca has got his weaknesses, but you're not beating him to the rim. Chris Paul, he was able to take up the space and defend him well. Good recognition. Give Mavericks credit. Um, Mavericks had the second best record in the NBA after January 1st. They traded Chris Dapps Przingis for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, and they got way better. And yesterday was a 
bad day for centers. We'll touch on it as we continue. It's Locked on Jazz. A Monday edition is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, located out at 46, excuse me, located out in Woods Cross, also located in Logan. The Chevy lineup leads off with the two SUVs you know well, the Tahoe and the Suburban, and the two trucks you know well, the Colorado and the Silverado. The Silverado is the lazy boy chair of trucks. You're cruising up there, and it's big, and it's powerful, and you're feeling good. The Colorado is the smaller, zippy utility truck. They're both amazing. Nothing makes a Chevy truck. The Murdoch family's been in Utah for over 85 years, and here for you to make sure that you get the greatest treatment possible and promise to not charge you more than MSRP. It's all at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also in Logan. If you're going to stop by, feel free to email me first and join, and uh, I'll set you up with the meeting. Uh, I want to welcome a new sponsor, uh, Sakara, onto the show. Uh, Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Shakara gives you the tools you need to transform your life with the organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness that is essential. With nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings. Is that possible? And get your skin glowing. Plus, it's delivered right to your door, ready to eat. Sakara's functional plant-rich wellness essentially helps you create a body you love living in. From the best-selling meta, uh, meta, met, I'm not going to get it. Super pa- That's not a hard word. Metabolism. There we go. Super powder to the foundation. Their daily supplement pack. Sakara's products are designed to support your wellness. All right. Right now, Sakara's offering 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter the code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Sakara. It's S A K A R A dot com slash locked on 20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash locked on 20. Yesterday was a bad day for centers. Bad, bad day uh, for centers. And by the way, thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. The NBA Big Board is our NBA draft show. It's up if you want to get ready for the draft. Rafael Barlow leads a crew of four through different breakdowns. Yesterday, Leaf Tulene had Jabari Smith as fourth on his board. A pretty decent explanation of why. So, check it out. So, here's why yesterday was a bad day for centers. We've talked about this in the past on the show, but in case you're new to the show, there's been a revolution in the NBA that's actually made centers more important. And it's happened on the defensive end, and it was led by the Milwaukee Bucks. And what it has been is the absolute commitment to denying the rim. So if you go through the regular season and we take five-year gaps – we start in 16-17, and there were 35% of the shots were taken at the rim in the 16-17 season, 35%. And if you go to the 19-20 season, which is the bubble season, it's still at 35%. And then you go to the 2021 season, and all of a sudden it starts to drop to 33%. And this year in the regular season, the amount of shots taken at the rim in the NBA was down to 32.5. That's an incredible drop in three years to have that happen. So why did this happen? Well, if you go back to the 18-19 season, four years ago, the Milwaukee Bucks had Brooke Lopez 
And Milwaukee, San Antonio was the best of the time. And Milwaukee, it might have been the night, might have been the bubble season, 1920. And the Milwaukee Bucks just decide, you know what? We're just not going to let people shoot at the rim anymore. We're just absolutely going to deny it. So if we look at the 1819 season, because I do think it was the year before the bubble, and you look back at it, Milwaukee commits and only 30% of the shots they allow are at the rim. The next closest is Golden State at 31.6, but there's only three teams in the entire NBA that are under 30, if you round up, under 34%. So San Antonio's at 32.7, Golden State's at 31.6, Milwaukee's at 30.3. 33.5, Orlando, so you round that up to 34. Everybody else is only three teams. And Milwaukee does this, and they win a ton, and the rest of the league scouts them, looks at them, follows it, looks at it. And then the next year, Milwaukee takes it a step further and gets it down to 29.1%. But suddenly now there's eight teams in the NBA that allow shots at the rim at 33% or fewer percent of the time. So there's eight teams to do it. So the center is suddenly becoming important. Milwaukee and Brooklyn and Orlando and Utah. And t- suddenly teams have totally committed. Toronto's doing it without a center, but teams have completely committed. And then 2021 season comes, but only Milwaukee's under 30% at that point. Then Washington joins into the mix and they take it last season to even a further extreme. They cut people down to 26% of their shots at the rim. Milwaukee's down to 27.8 and Boston and Utah are at 30.5 and Miami's at 30.8. And all of a sudden, if 33.5 was our benchmark, over half of the NBA teams in a span of two years are now only allowing 33.5 or fewer shots at the rim. That was as of last. Now, this season, we have the really big drop. And all of a sudden now, remember when Milwaukee was weird because they were at 30% and there were three teams that were below 33? We now have, going into this season, seven teams allowing less than 30% of their shots at the rim. So the center has become super important because what the center is doing is taking this away. And by the way, we now have 18 teams at 33.5 or more. So the center had become really, really important in the league. And you take away the middle of the floor and you take away the rim and you get out to shooters and it seemingly, well, all of a sudden when you're getting the playoffs, what's happening is five out. Like Boston didn't play Grant Williams yesterday because, or uh, Robert Williams because of his knee injury. Boston didn't play Robert Williams because he can't shoot. So Boston played 48 minutes of centers with Grant Williams and Daniel Tice on the outside. And Brooke Lopez had to suddenly play the same defense Rudy Gobert has to play. Which is hovering around the rim, dribble penetration, kick out to a shooter, and all of a sudden Grant Williams takes 18 three-point shots. And Daniel Tice, by the way, took one. But Grant Williams really takes 18 three-point shots last night. And he hits 7 of 18, and the fact is, that's kind of what you'd expect him to do He's getting wide open looks. He's an NBA player. And when you know you're going to get those kind of looks over the course of a game, you end up shooting probably a little bit above your average at 39%. You just can't do it. We've tried it with Terrence Mann. We've tried it with Jay Sean Tate in the regular season. But in the playoffs, these teams are too good. And so all of a sudden, you now have Brooke Lopez trying to do the best he can to take away the rim. And he was having a monster game taking away the rim, frankly. 
That's what's so the killer for the centers last night is that Brooke Lopez was actually having a great game. He, and I'm not even sure you'd say he had a bad game in the sense that Boston's offensive rating was only a 110 for the game. And when Lopez was on the floor, it was a 105. So let's be careful on the same thing that everyone does to Rudy that you can't play in the playoffs, but it was the game plan last night to take away the rim the same way that we've talked about with Rudy. And then, and that was, and then Grant Williams is outside. And the fact of the matter is that the problem, Boston only gets 10 shots at the rim the entire game, but they go 18, they take 16 corner threes. They only hit four of them. So that worked out. And they go 18 of 39 and above the break threes. The defensive system actually works, but you're, you're succumbing to giving up fairly big time shots from NBA players. And as you move along in the playoffs, these teams are better and have more shooters and they've got better rosters. And that's why they're still around. And so there is this incredible juxtaposition right now in the NBA that everything is about taking away the rim, but the way you take away the rim is having your big seven footer. And then all of a sudden, and in the playoffs, it's even worse. Rim shots in the playoffs are down to 29%. 29% of shots are at the rim. No one's letting you get to the rim right now. Golden State in the playoffs so far has allowed 19% of opponent shots at the rim. 19. We only allowed 21% of shots at the rim. Phoenix only allowed 28. Dallas is allowing 29. In fact, the only teams that allowed more than 33 were like gone quickly. So you just cannot get to the rim in the playoffs, which then means that it's really hard for centers to be good offensively. And so as much as the Grant Williams 16 threes will get the conversation, the same way Terrence Mann's 16 threes got the conversation, and the same way we've seen everything else, the fact of the matter is that, and and Lopez was great on the offensive glass, but the offensive rating for Milwaukee when Lopez was on the floor last night was about an 86. I think if I have that right, check it. It was a 79. They were 80 for the game. So they weren't any better with Lopez off the floor, but I'm not sure having, and Lopez, you know, just didn't hit his threes. He's a three point shooting stretch big who went, I think two for one for 16 during the series. So some of that's just missing his shots for Phoenix. It's hard to look at any numbers and know anything. Cause first of all, you have to just look at everything by halftime because it was over at halftime. But on the same concept, with DeAndre Eaton on the floor, the offensive rating for Phoenix was a 56 in the 13 minutes that Eaton played. And Eaton's supposed to be a really, really talented, skilled offensive big man. But the same thing was happening to him and Bismack Biombo defensively is that Dallas wasn't running anything. They're not running anything offensively. They're just going five out. Dinwiddie gets the mismatch, and he just drives. So it was not a good day for centers. I don't know where this goes. This is fascinating because there's two very different trends. One is you absolutely have to take away the rim to survive in this league. In the regular season and then on the defensive end, it's even more so in the playoffs. But on the other end, if you're playing a center who's not mobile enough to defend and they're playing five out, teams are spreading and driving you, it doesn't look good. You better be able to figure out what you're doing with that. And then the second part of it is, On the offensive end, if you're playing a center 
who doesn't have an abundance of offensive skills and you can't get to the rim. Like we saw Rudy not be able to get to the rim. We saw DeAndre Ayton not be able to get to the rim. What happens to that? What, what happens to that player? But on the other end, if they're spreading you out five wide and you don't have, you're playing five smalls, like you better be able to rotate the way Boston does. Their defense was incredible. But their defense is, like if we do the numbers, what's Tatum 6'9", Brown 6'7", Grant Williams is 6'7", 6'8". Marcus Smart's 6'4", and is good a defensive player, evidently the best defensive player in the world. Um, And Al Horford's the smartest basketball player I've ever seen at 6'10". And I love their pickup at Derek White when they had it. Like Derek White was 1 of 10, 1 of 6, and 3. I love Derek, Derek White. The other one, no one's playing anyone. That's the other thing that's worth noting. Like they played, everyone played 5, 6 guys. Despite the fact that Jeff Van Gundy, if you're listening to the broadcast, couldn't remember that quote. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. It's out. It is the birthday cake puff. Make every day your birthday with the Built Bar puff that tastes like frosting. That's right. Imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting. I don't know why it has to be plastic. Just a tub. What about just like a bowl, an environmentally conscious bowl? And then opening your eyes and realizing it's only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That's what a birthday cake puff from Built is like. It tastes just like birthday cake. Birthday cake puffs arrived at my door this weekend, immediately tried. They've never tasted anything like it. They're available right now, and you can't. we can't promise that this will be there tomorrow, so get them today at Built. If you have not tried the puffs, they are collagen infused protein or marshmallow with collagen infused protein. And they have marshmallow texture, 100% real chocolate. Make every day your birthday with Built Bars birthday cake puffs. Go to built.com, promo code 15 to get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. The other big takeaway, I want to get some of your questions on the live show. Good live audience today. It's how fragile this all is. Phoenix just went from the number one team in the NBA dominant, NBA finals team, dominant number one team in the league, to suddenly like feels like they're on the verge of a collapse. They have Chris Paul on a four-year $120 million contract that all of us thought was nuts, the last year's team option. And the quotes after the game about DeAndre Ayton we're not good by Monty Williams. And then Devin Booker had a chance to kind of give him an endorsement and didn't. So let's start with the how long can Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton coexist lines. Uh, but there, and then Chris Paul's an aging point guard who has notoriously been impossible to live with as a teammate. This will be the first time he's been on the same team for three years. And will be interesting to see whether or not the old feeling people that I'd heard about Chris Paul was the fact that Chris Paul, you would you get through a year with Chris Paul, he'd change your franchise, and then you'd get through a year with him, and you'd show up in October the next year, and he'd start harping on you again, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, do I have to do this for seven more, eight more months? Watch their bench. Watch their demeanor next year. The other one they have now is the same thing the Jazz had this year. How does Monty Williams drive them and tell them that the regular season, like they they had the number one seed dominating team, 
all the awards, all the stuff they wanted. And then, and actually they didn't get any of the awards, but they got a lot of recognition and now they'll, and they got nothing for it. In fact, they will get killed because they rolled over and died in a mammoth proportion, mammoth way, the same way the jazz did. Very similar. How long till Devin Booker asks out, right? Maybe the focus will go off the Utah Jazz now and on to them. There's only one team that seems to be able to avoid this. And that, interestingly enough, is the Danny Ainge-built Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics have been to the Eastern Conference Finals seven of the last 15 years. In a league where everything is fragile... And they went through a complete transformation in the middle of that. He built the championship team. It got old. He pulled off the Jason Tatum trades. It's incredible. In 2007-8, they win the finals. They lose in the conference finals the next year. They lose in the finals after that. They lose in the conference semis the year after that. They lose in the conference finals the year after that. They lose in the first round. Then they have one bad year under Brad Stevens. They go 25-57. and They have back-to-back first-round exits. And then their Eastern Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Semis, Eastern Conference Finals, first round exit on a busted up team last year with all sorts of chemistry problems and lack of ball movement. And Marcus Smart with the quote of the year saying, these guys don't want to pass. And the and all of a sudden, now they're back in the Eastern Conference Finals. Seven of the last 15 years, the Boston Celtics have been in the Eastern Conference Finals in a league that is incredibly fragile, and we've documented it all week. Now, some people might say, if you're Boston, particularly with the track record they have, they won one title in that, and they haven't won a title in 15 years. I'm not sure. I think that that's the... I mean, my viewpoint is build your franchise to be in the Final Four of your conference. They've done that one, two, three, four, five six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in the last 15 years. That's pretty remarkable. And they've done it with a really different teams. We'll dig in and look at Ainge's moves this week and how he built this over the years to get where they want. Uh, There were some really good questions that came in. There's been great chatter in the chat room on our live show uh, today. Thanks for everybody who stopped by. Um, Matthew Alford said, hey, do you think the Jazz GM would call the Suns to inquire about Chris Paul? I don't want him at four years. I don't want him at $30 million for the next two years. I, I don't think I'm wrong on that. Um, but I don't think I want. Um, this was, I thought, a really good question. Does you does this make you more or less intrigued with a home run trade for Chris Dapps Przingis you talked about? Both. And here's my thoughts. One is... The fact that Dallas is such a joy-filled group and so happy after trading a guy who was supposedly a bit mercurial and difficult to deal with makes me really concerned. The fact that you're spreading the floor five wide and just driving it, guys, and Chris Depps has no lateral movement makes me even more concerned. What still has me a little intrigued is the idea of having two dominant rim defenders on the floor. Like, do you just go to a 3-2 zone and take away the rim? Can you always have one of those guys rotating to the rim to take away the drive and then everyone's making the next rotations? Or are you trying to rotate with two seven-footers and it doesn't work? 
And then offensively, if you can't get to the rim, all Chris Stapps is is a seven foot three shooting guard. If you have a dominating superstar guard like we hope Donovan Mitchell can be, maybe. The other question is, can you do it without a center? Can you just rotate fully all the time, mobile? I mean, Maxi Kleber was incredible in that series. He's a 6'10 center. So, Przingis to me is kind of this move where I would curtail to people that know better than I do. Like, I, you know, if if I was, you know, I, w- I would bring Quinn the staff in and say, like, if we did this to you, like, what would you guys think of it? I do think you have to take away the rim in this league. And, but that's the irony is teams are taking away the rim in the playoffs at a higher level than ever before. While simultaneously centers without offensive skills feel as though they're difficult to play. It's really tricky. That is locked on jazz today. I hope you have a great one. Thanks very much.